age test this morning, which we need lights for. You want to hit that? Uh, yeah, one of those over there. Thanks. Uh, little age test this morning. If you know the rest of the phrase I'm about to say, I want you just to shout out the end of the phrase, okay? I'm gonna give you the first part, you give me uh, the, last, um, the last part. Uh, when E.F. Hutton talks, okay. If you're, how old do you have to be to know that? You gotta be over 45 or something like that? <laughs> yeah. A little old. Uh, let me give you a, a few, um, a few others. Uh, when Gandalf enters the hall of Theoden, king of Rohan, he says to the king, "Too long have you sat in the shadows. Hearken to me." And when Detective Carter says to Detective Lee, "You remember those two? Uh, do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Did I get that? Was I close?" Uh, to that, okay. Uh, Major Payne said it like this, be advised, ladies. And then Michael Scott said, listen, 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 uh, listen. Uh, my friend Melvin um, once said this, did you hear what I said or did you hear what I meant? If you are going to respond appropriately, you've got to receive correctly, right? If you're gonna to respond to somebody who is talking to you, saying something to you, you have to receive correctly. And so um, when a parent or uh, Gandalf or Major Payne or Michael Scott or Melvin ask, did you hear me? They aren't asking, did the sound waves from my mouth penetrate your ears? <laughs> That's not what they're asking. They are asking, did you understand? what I'm saying. Will, will you respond appropriately to what I'm telling you? Will, will what I said turn into what you do? But this becomes um, even more important of a thing when it's God doing the talking. Israel became a, a, a nation. They, they were not a nation really until uh, God rescued them out of Israel and brings them into their own land. But as they were becoming a nation, it was a time in world history that, that we kind of look at, well, let's just be honest. I think every generation of people look at previous generations as though they existed in the dark ages. Um, and and if, you want a, if you want a good example of that, uh, look at some of the young people who have grown up with a, uh, a computer in their pocket. The, the rest of us, we do not know what that's like. We, we did not have Google in, in school. Uh, let, let me give you a good example. When I was in uh, high school, the calculator watch came out. Do you remember the calculator watch? Yeah. Okay, the calculator watch came out. I, I, don't, shake your, don't shake your head, Dallas. I, I know you don't know about the calculator watch. <laughs> the calculator watch came out when I was in high school and, and, and I remember um, wanting a calculator watch because I wanted to be cool. And all of, all of the cool people uh, had calculator uh, watches. 
And um, I did not get a calculator watch until they were not cool anymore, which is the same thing that happened with uh, pants. I didn't get my first pair of Levi's until everybody had Levi's. And, and then, I, you know, I was always late to the, to the party. Uh, anyway, a few weeks ago, um, I was trying to figure out something with the business and uh, I, I went, oh yeah, calculator. <laughs> and I thought, I am still cool. Yes, <laughs> I have a calculator watch. Anyway, we all look at previous generations and we think they, they're stone age, right? They just, they don't, they don't get it. They don't understand. They have old timey ideas and, and thoughts. Well, at this time period of Israel, as they're becoming a nation, wandering in the desert, and then coming into the promised land, there, there was a, 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 a mysticism and this, uh, like a spirituality that um, was more about um, spiritual beings and spiritual things, not God, but other spiritual things. It, it was just rampant. Like that, everybody, uh, everybody thought about that. In fact, c- contemporary nations with Israel, they practice what we call polytheism, which means they had uh, just a whole bunch of gods that they, that they worshiped. And so if, if you were a part of that nation and life was not going very well for you, then you would have to look at all of the gods that you were worshiping and you would have to decide which of these gods did I offend? And so if you were having um, relational problems or maybe you were having trouble conceiving, you, you would go, well, I must have offended this uh, fertility God. And so you would make sacrifices to that, to that God. Um, if you were having other like financial issues, then you'd have, to, you'd have to go, you have to figure out which God of finance and business and things were you offending and you have to make sacrifices to that um, God. And so uh, nations all around, in fact, every nation practiced this idea of worshiping many, many gods. And this polytheism was, was one of Israel's gods primary concerns for the people as they entered the promised land, that, that, that they, the people would begin to follow the religious practices of the nations that were, uh, that were around them. And they would begin to worship um, and, and honor and make sacrifices to the gods of these other nations. And in doing that, they would be led astray. They would be led from the worship of Israel's God to the worship of these other um, false gods and idols. And, and so the, the very first command in the 10 commands, like there's a whole bunch of commands in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, but the primary 10 commands for the people, the ones that Moses brought down off of Mount Sinai, the very first one is this, you shall have no other gods before me or, or beside me. And basically God was saying, look, in fact, he goes on to say, I'm a jealous God. And, and so I don't want you worshiping any other, any other gods besides me. I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty clear command from God. L- last month uh, in the series that we looked at, we talked about how in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses reissued the covenant between God and the people of, of Israel. And so what God did on Mount Sinai and talking to the people and then talking to Moses, who then came down and spoke to the people, 
the nation was beginning to, or getting ready to cross the Jordan River and begin to take possession of the land that God had promised the Israelite people uh, for many, many, many generations. And so Moses is reissuing the covenant between God and the people of Israel. And in chapter six of Deuteronomy, Moses kind of goes back over uh, the 10 commands. He's kind of reissuing, like reminding the people of the 10 commands, uh, but he approaches them a little bit differently. And so Moses reminds God, uh, the people of all that God had done. And then he tells them to be careful not to worship the false gods of the land that they were about to enter. And so offend the God who had rescued them and protected them. And so it's into this situation that Moses gives um, the people what is called the Shema. And the Shema is a prayer of uh, allegiance to God that the Jewish people would recite in the morning and then again in the evening. It, it was designed to remind those who pray it that, that God is God alone, that there is no one beside him and, and that he as God deserves all of our worship. And so in the Shema, all of these things are accomplished. As, as you pray it, as you recite the words, you're reminded of all of these things, that, that God is the one true God, the God that you worship is the one true God, and that he desires everything that you have when you come to worship. And so Moses even tells the people to, to talk about the Shema with their children at every opportunity. In fact, he says, talk about it when you get up in the morning and when you lie down at night. Talk about it with your children and your family as you walk along the road and as you're doing other activities. And so this idea is that this Shema prayer was supposed to penetrate every aspect of the people's lives, that they were as, a, as parents to not just um, tell their children, but to share it, to talk about it, to instruct them, to use it as a way to point to God in all of these different aspects and things that happen. And, and so let, let me just confess to you that sometimes my children um, get a little irritated with me because when they come to me with issues or challenges or problems or successes or something good, um, what do I do? I go, well, the Bible says. <laughs> and, so here, and so I'm trying to talk to them and encourage them in, in the ways of God. And, and sometimes, uh, I, I get it, sometimes they're not super interested in hearing that. Uh, but that's okay, that's, uh, that's what, uh, what I do. Um, so Moses tells the people, talk about it with your families. Let it be a part of your life. Let it guide your attitudes and your actions, your decisions. And Moses believed that if a, a person took the words of the Shema to heart and, and then lived those words out, that their lives and their families and their homes and their neighborhoods could be transformed. And so in this series over the next month, we are gonna take a, a really close look, a deep dive into the Shema prayer, what it means, what it's talking about, how we can apply it into um, our lives. And so we're gonna dive in today, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five. Here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is 
one. Now you will either hate hearing this or you will memorize it by the time the series is over. You, you get to pick which one. Uh, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, if you look at different translations um, in your Bible, your Bible app or whatever, you might find a little bit different wording in different translations that uh, you read. You, you might read, the Lord our God is one Lord, uh, is one translation. Another one says, the Lord our God is, uh, the, Lord is the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Uh, another translation says, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And so you can see that all kinds, all kinds uh, of these translations, they really all kind of say the same thing. But what I think they're saying, if you ask my opinion about it, I think they're saying uh, this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord alone. That he stands alone. He's the only God. As God of the universe, of creator and sustainer of everything, God understands that every other God in the world is, is nothing. In fact, God makes it pretty clear that the other gods that people and nations are worshiping are sticks and stones. They're carved out of wood or out of stone and people set them up in their house and they worship them as a God, but they don't see and they don't hear and they don't respond, which means they're no God at all. God is the only God. And so think of all the ways, if you're an Israelite person and Moses is recounting all of these things to you as you're about to go in and take over the promised land, think of all the ways that God has revealed himself to the nation of Israel over the last 41 years of time. He dramatically and powerfully rescued the people from slavery in, in Egypt. God proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that he was God, that the gods that the Egyptians worshiped were no gods at all. In, in fact, if you uh, know about the gods of Egypt, you'll discover that each of the 10 plagues that God brought, which got um, like more severe as they went on because Pharaoh and the people refused to repent. They refused the discipline there. And, and so they just got, they got worse, right? But each of those plagues corresponds to one of the primary gods of the Egyptian people. And so when, when God, uh, God of Israel, uh, brought a plague of frogs into the Egyptian nation, uh, the frog was an idol that the Egyptians had that they worshiped as a god. And so God sh shows in this, he's like, I'm in control of all of these gods that you think you're worshiping. I'm in control of all of them. They're nothing. And so God dramatically and powerfully rescues the people from slavery. Then he parts the water of the Gulf of Aqaba so that the millions of people can walk through on dry land. And when the arrogant Egyptians, uh, after all of the 10 plagues that they have just witnessed, they try to follow Israel through those walls of water. And then of course the water uh, crashes down on them and they drown. At another time, God brought water from a huge rock. Uh, in fact, it's called the Rock of Horeb, and it's still there today. You can go look at it. It's split down the middle, and if you look closely, it looks as though the outside edges of that split in the rock are worn as though water had been rushing past them. It's pretty 
crazy. Uh, God also turned the bitter water of uh, uh, Marabah uh, into water that was uh, able to be drank by the people. He, he stopped the sun in the sky so that Israel could defeat an enemy that was trying to come and, and conquered them. He, he led the people for 40 years in the desert through this massive pillar of cloud and smoke and fire. He gave the plans to the Israelite people, to Moses, um, for the tabernacle, his tent of worship, and the, and the Ark of the Covenant, Covenant, which was the hot spot of God's physical presence with the people. And then he protected the people from attacks, and he revealed himself in personal, profound ways to them, um, more personal, profound than, than he had revealed himself at any other time in history. And the, the point of that is, that no one had ever seen another nation's God show up or show off in greater and more powerful ways than the God of Israel. And so God proved his presence with the people and his love for the people in, in numerous and impressive ways over those 40 years. He proved that he actually was God and all the other false gods and idols were nothing. And so it's no wonder that the prayer of the people is, God is God, there are no others. And so our response to the one true God is to love him, the Shema says, with all of our heart and soul and strength. Now in the rest of the series, as we go through uh, this month, we're gonna break down the rest of that verse. We're gonna talk about what it means to love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. Um, but today, we're gonna spend the rest of our time talking about just one word that's used in the Shema and in the Bible, because it's a small word, but it's um, very, very important. So it uh, has a very important uh, meaning. So we're gonna start off by looking at Proverbs chapter 20. We're gonna have a lot of verses. And so if you lose track, uh, you can go to reallifecc.us, click on the My Message Notes link on the homepage there, and uh, you'll have all the scripture references and all the stuff we're talking about today. So Proverbs 20, 12 says this, the hearing ear and the seeing eye. And you're like, duh, that's what ears and eyes do, right? the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord made them both. And though the word hearing in this verse is the Hebrew word Shema, and it's translated here as hearing. God designed the ear to hear. That's what it's for. That's its purpose. Your ears and your eyes, they're not cosmetic things just to make your face look symmetrical or something. They're utilitarian. They have a purpose. They work. They help us function in life and get along. And when you're missing those things, you're missing out on a part of life. And so here the word um, Shema simply means to hear. Um, the word, uh, let's just go to the next verse. Genesis 29, 33. Now this is uh, Leah, talking about Leah, and Leah was married to Jacob, but there's just a big story there. She was the unloved wife of Jacob, and it's not Jacob's fault. Uh, Jacob worked for Leah's dad, Jacob, uh, I think that was it, for, uh, um, or Laban, 
Jacob worked for Laban for uh, 14 years to earn the hand of his daughter, Rachel. And then on the night that he was supposed to be married, um, the dad gives Leah to Jacob instead of Rachel. Switcheroo there. And uh, neither of them were very happy about this. So this is the situation in which this verse comes. Leah conceived again, this is her second time. She bore a son and she said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And then she called his name Simeon. Now again, um, not Jacob's fault, but Leah was uh, unloved in relation to how much Jacob loved Rachel in their relationship. Because she felt unloved, she prayed to God and asked God to give her a son in the hopes that having children would cause her husband to love her more. Now, this is actually her second son, and she names him Shimon. And we translate it Simeon, but in the original language, his name was Shimon. It's a version of Shema. Um, but the word is a little more tricky here because we have to look closely at uh, how it's used. Leah says it's because God has shemad or paid attention to her that he gave her another son. So Simeon's name or Shimeon's name is Leah's reminder of the meaning of the word shema, that God not only paid attention to her, but he heard her prayer. He responded to her need and her plight. He, he paid attention to what she was going through. He heard and then he paid attention. The next verse that we're gonna look at is Psalms 27, seven. And here, David, uh, King David is praying. He's had a very difficult time and he's praying to God. And he says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. So King David, the literal translation, he's gonna say, Shema, O Lord, when I cry aloud, answer me. And so clearly David is in a situation where he wants to not just be merely listened to, uh, forget about his problem and then move on. David is actually crying out for God to not only hear him, but respond to him. You, you ever been in that position? You ever felt that way? I have a friend of mine who's gone through some, uh, family has gone through some pretty difficult uh, medical issues over the last um, month or two. And, and he confessed to me that over the last few weeks, he, he several times has gone out into his backyard um, and, and prayed, like letting the dogs run and, and, and praying. And he said, he said, I gotta tell you a few times, I, I've like shaken my fist to heaven and said, God, why are you allowing these things to happen to me? I, give me a break, uh, help me out here. I can't take much more of this. Um, and, and so a lot of us have felt that way. And, and when you're in that position, we're not just asking God to shema, to hear our prayer, we're saying, God, I don't want you to just hear me. I need you to respond to me. I need you to respond to my situation. I need you to look down at what's going on and get involved in what's happening. And so when we ask God to Shema, we're asking him not just to hear, but then to give us attention and then to respond in a physical, active way in our lives to what's going on. But the word even gets more um, deep than 
than that. Let's look at Exodus 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and this is God talking to the nation of Israel. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine. Now, you'll notice what's missing here is the word here. It's, it's not in this passage. As God is talking to the people, he's saying something a little different. And so God is insinuating that his covenant with the people at, at Mount Sinai, um, and he says to them, if you will indeed shema my voice and keep my covenant. That's the uh, original language. Actually, in the original Hebrew, it says, if you will shema shema my voice, then you must obey my or observe my covenant. If you will listen closely to my voice, that will translate into obedience for my covenant. And so when God uses the word Shema, what he means is listen and obey. When God uses the word Shema, he means listen and obey. In the, in the Hebrew language, there is no single word for obey, which it seems kind of odd because that's kind of a primary part of what we do as followers of Jesus, right? We obey, we listen, um, we, we look more like Jesus, we do what he says to do. Um, and, and it's a little bit uh, different here. There's no word for o obey. It's like, okay, if grandma is giving instruction on how to finish a recipe, right? Family recipe that's been passed down, she expects you to listen to her instruction and then to do what she says. And if you've ever had a grandma who has a recipe, you, you understand that there is no room in family recipes for uh, going off on your own, trying things a little differently, right? If you're going to repeat a family recipe, you had better repeat it exactly the way uh, it's been handed down to you. Um, if you ever have uh, eaten or made my mother's um, she always called them cinnamon rolls. They are not cinnamon rolls, by the way. They are sticky buns. I, I realized that a uh, long time ago. They're sticky buns because um, they're cinnamon rolls with that uh, gooey, yummy cinnamon. And I think she uses four sticks of butter in the pan, right? So it's basically butter rolls with this goopy stuff on it. Anyway, it's fantastic. They're the best. But uh, anyway, when you follow that recipe, you've got to follow it exactly. And so the word that you use there is Shema. And so the Hebrew people, to the nation of Israel, to the, to the Jews, that's all the same people group, by the way. There's a lot of different ways to refer to them. Listening to somebody and then doing what they say were really just two sides of the same coin. And so a Jewish person would understand that if they tell you to shema, they're telling you to not only hear or listen, but to obey, to follow through, to do what it is that you've been instructed to do. These two things were connected, hearing and doing. And when the people refused to obey, well, God sent them prophets who said things like this in Jeremiah. They said, you have neither listened nor inclined your ears. And what are ears for? They're to hear. So you're not hearing, although the Lord has persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets. So Jeremiah says to the people, look, 
God has sent you prophet after prophet to try and help correct the things that you're doing wrong, but you have not Shema. You've not inclined your ears to Shema. You've refused to Shema. In fact, you've actively closed off your ears so that you can't hear the things God's saying. And if you can't hear what God's saying, then you're not going to obey. You refuse to listen and to obey. So Shema, according to the Bible, is to listen and obey. And let's just be real honest. In today's culture, generation, and I think in every generation along the way, uh, we do a really good job at listening. You all do a really good job at listening. In fact, most of you, the vast majority of you do not sleep on Sunday morning when you come to church. And I am really thankful about that. Now, there's a few of you uh, who do. I understand. It's, it's okay, I, w- I won't be offended. But most of you stay awake and, and you listen. We are really good in church culture today uh, at listening. And, and even some people listen really well that they, that they take notes on, on the message and things that, that are said. Uh, and we can do this, we can do this, we take notes and we listen to those things and we write them down. It's not the listening part that Christians have ever struggled with. It's the obedience part that we have a problem with. We come to church every Sunday and we listen, but then how often does what we hear God telling us maybe on Sunday morning or in our Bible reading during the week or in a conversation with another Christian friend, how many times does that listening translate into our everyday lives? We hear really good, we listen really good, we struggle with with actually putting those things into practice. Practice. So our mission here at, uh, at Real Life is to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like him every day. And so looking uh, or, or um, helping every person possible find real life in Jesus, that comes primarily by, by hearing. So uh, by, by preaching through the music and conversations that we have with people during the week, as we share our story and the things that God has done for us or the way he's worked in our lives, people are listening to that and then they're responding to that and they, and they come to church and they give their lives to Jesus, they're baptized. And so um, that's the beginning of that process. But the second part is that once we hear or listen, that we would strive to look more like Jesus every day. And that again is the part that we struggle with. It's the action part. It's the putting those things into practice during the week. And so what we learn from this word is that to Shema takes effort and action. Effort to listen intently to what is being said or what God is saying to us, again, through his word or other people, music or the message, to listen intently and then to carry out what we hear, to put it into practice in our daily lives. And so I wanna look at um, one more passage. This is Jesus talking about the religious leaders of his day. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So Jesus is saying, look, you're no longer living out Shema. You're, you're not doing w- what you're supposed to do. You've got the listening part down, um, but you don't have the doing part down. Like you talk a good game, but there's no follow through. 
that you sound spiritual, um, but your actions are suspect. You, you, you prayed the prayer, but you haven't put it into practice in your daily life. And so in our journey as followers of, of Jesus, learning to surrender to him daily, uh, we say it like this, to look more like Jesus. It does us no good to fake that, to, to listen and, and to pretend like that's all we have to do, to listen well, to, to come to church, to hear each week, but then to not put it into daily practice, that gets us nowhere in our spiritual journey. And this is actually why we as Christians are, are often, maybe sometimes, once in a while, whatever, called hypocrites. It's because sometimes we're really, really good at listening. We're just not really good at putting those things um, in, into practice. We've become good at hearing, but we're still pretty bad at obeying. And so we've failed to Shema. Shema requires effort and action. And so to fully understand Shema means to do more than just um, hearken or listen to. It implies action on the part of the one uh, who hears. Shema, Shema means that you hear what God is saying and then you heed his words. That, that you listen to the things that he's saying to you through various ways, and then you live it out in your daily life. You, you work to understand what God is saying to you, and then you endeavor to undertake that instruction. We, we say it sometimes this way, Jesus the King died in your place and rose as your defender, inviting you into a relationship with the Father where you can live your real life through the Holy Spirit's power as you daily surrender to Jesus' reign and wait for his return. And so it does us no good to give lip service to Jesus as the king and to say, Jesus is my king, you know, I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna whatever. It does us no good to give lip service to Jesus as king if we have no intention of surrendering to him on a daily basis. It's like hearing and not heeding. It's like listening, but then refusing to change how you live or, or doing your best to understand, but then doing nothing to undertake what it is that you've learned. And so to Shema takes effort to hear and then action to heed what God is saying. As the Jews recited this prayer, the very first word of the prayer set the tone for everything that follows. If you hear that God is God alone, but you don't heed that by loving him with your whole heart and your soul and your strength, then you've missed what it means to Shema in the first place. And so the encouragement, the challenge this week is to practice Shema. Uh, both on Sunday morning, uh, during the week, if you do a, a, a Bible reading plan or a verse of the day or something, you're having spiritual um, conversations with somebody, reading your Bible, whatever it is, do your best to understand what's being said to you, what God is trying to communicate to you, and then to undertake what it is that you hear. And so the Shema guided the lives of those people who actually lift it. 
who actually listened in order to live by it, and who actually tried to understand and then undertake what was being said. And it helped people remember who God was as, as the only God. And then what their role was in that covenant relationship. God, if you're God and you've shown love to me this way, my response is to then love you with all my heart and soul and strength. And so the Shema can do the same for us today. As we remember who um, God is, as we listen with the intent of living it out. And so let me just... Um, kind of recap the Shema with you as we wrap up. I think this is a way that we could say it. Here, O church, the Lord is God alone. So love your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us in ways that we, well, quite frankly, we can't reproduce and we can't even fully understand. And, and yet you hear us, you respond to our needs. And then you call us into this covenant relationship with Jesus where you are our father um, and you respond to us in that. It was a loving father, always looking for ways to encourage and help us even when that encouragement and help comes through discipline or struggle. So we thank you, God, for looking after us in that way, for responding to us in that way. And we ask that you would help us then to love you back, to love you with all of our heart and soul and strength. And the way that we do that is by listening to what you say and then by living by it, but by hearing the words that you're speaking to us and then heeding them in our lives, by, by doing our best to understand what it is that you want us to do in each and every situation, and, and then to actually undertake those things in our, in our daily lives. Tre Trevor mentioned it in the communion talk. He said that we're to even love our enemies, and, and the scripture goes on to pray for those who persecute us. And sometimes we're really good at hearing those words, but we're really bad at heeding them. And so God, help us to put our faith into practice this week, to hear and to heed, to understand that to Shema takes effort and then is supported by action. And so help us, God, to live out our faith, to look more like Jesus each and every day. And we can only do that as you help us and guide us in that process. And so um, here, O church, the Lord our God is Lord alone. And we're gonna love the Lord our God with all our soul, our heart, and with all our soul, and with all our strength. Help us to do that, God, in Jesus' name.